It's my first time teaching here. Well, I am so glad you guys are here. If you've never met me, uh, you've seen me announce a couple times if you've been coming here since we've been in this little facility of ours. Um, but my name is Greg Brooks. I uh, happen to be the pastor here at Outpost Community Church. I love what I get to do. I love Tony Mong. I love the worship team. I love every one of you guys who are members and are non-members or tenders. It's just so fun to be able to do this together. It's an amazing thing. I just got to meet two new friends, Stan and Barbara. They were the two people I got to meet, and they came and asked questions and were talking. And it's just fun. There's lots of Christians outside of these walls who are not here with us this morning, who want to worship Jesus, who want to love him, who realize the world is crazy and they're crazy, and we're all full of sin, and we're trying to do the best we can to just show people the goodness and sinlessness of Jesus. Amen? Amen. We're not the only ones. And that's a ton of fun, you know? I, I'd hate to be the only one. Uh, it's great to know I got all y'all's help to just continue to be on mission together. So uh, before we get going, and we're going to be in Genesis 43 and 44. We're doing both chapters, y'all. It's about to be legit in here. Uh, are those ACs, are those swamp coolers still going in the back? Yeah. Good? All right, good. Settle in. If you're in the front, apologize. It's going to get hot, all right? We're going to be talking for a while. But hey, I want to tell you something. Men, if you're in the room, we are doing a fall men's equipping course. And uh, we chose to call them equipping courses for a reason. We don't call them Bible studies. We do study our Bibles, okay? Don't freak out. Uh, we call them equipping courses. Because at the end of the day, you know what God does not need? Smarter sinners, okay? What he needs is men and women who love Jesus, who've got, who don't just know more about their Bible, but the Bible is going through them, and it's playing out in the way that they love their wives, their kids, their coworkers, their friends, their community, uh, and it plays out that way. We need men and women who are not just Bible studiers. They're people who, that the Bible is changing their lives. They're listening to the Word of God. It's, they're getting equipped and ready to go to war together, which Ephesians 6 talks about, right? What's, what's the sword of the Spirit? Somebody hold it up and show me. Yeah, it's really dull, but if you take a, one piece of paper and slash, it could be sharp. Uh, that's a joke. That didn't land very well. It's Cody, you know. Just got to give you guys a, a little bit of time to get the joke. All right. Um, hey, this fall, uh, so uh, we're going to be doing something different, and I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is, but men, I want to invite you to come to a dinner. All right? You're just invited to a dinner. It's just dinner. August 28th, 6.30 p.m. I want you to be here. There's going to be great food. We're going to be in this room. So if you're First time you ever heard me talk and you want to be a part of a men's equipping course, you want to see what this is all about, come on August 28th. No, that's wrong. August 31st, okay? I'm being admonished publicly from the full length of this room. August 31st, 31st 6.30 p.m. right in here. We're calling it men's two by two. So you should come. And I'd love to have you here, every single one of you. Hey, it's challenged by choice. You can just come eat dinner and never come again, and we won't be offended. But I invite you, do not miss this opportunity to be here on August 31st, 6.30 p.m. in this room. It's going to be great food. It's going to be a good time. Got something wonderful to share with you guys. We're going to challenge us to be men of God who are going to be about it, not just talk about it. Sound good? Yeah. Ladies, how do you feel about that? <laughs> Sound good? You're like, yeah, man, kick those men in the butt. All right. Let's pray. We're going to be in Genesis 43 and 44. I'm excited to jump into this uh, with you guys. We get together every Monday as a teaching team. There's a group of people. You've seen some of them teach. And uh, so I've had two weeks to be able to sit in this and think through it. And I, I mean, I just tell you what, I'm not going to be, be able to do it justice. It's way too much scripture. But guys, it's good. And I need it this morning. And you need it this morning. So let's just pray. And right now you pray. And so I want to encourage you to do something. Again, challenge by choice. 
uh, is to just open up your hands in your lap, all right? Nobody can really see you except for the people next to you. And I just want you to pray, and you're doing it with open hands, all right? You're doing it with open hands, and I need you to trust me. Um, because there's things right now that are keeping you from being able to listen. I want you to pray those into your hands. Man, these are the things I've been, they're in my mind. Here's the circumstances I'm in. Here's the things that are distracting. Here's the worries I have. I'm in a Baptist building, and this is hard for me. And whatever, just pray those out and say, God, I, I'm just going to give these to you. All right? But your hands are still open, and I want you just to ask God to give to you as well. So God, help me understand this word we're about to open, because I'm a human being and this thing was written thousands of years ago, and I know it's got truth that goes across all time. It's eternal truth, and I need your help to understand it. All right, so take some time. You're going to do that right now, and then I'll close out in prayer, and we'll get going. Father, I am completely and utterly dependent on you. I know I've, I've read this Bible multiple times, and I know it continually tells me that every breath is a gift, every heartbeat is a gift. My existence is because you exist, and you graciously created me. And in my life, I've chosen to sin. I've chosen to allow things into my mind and into my heart that make it harder to see life as it truly is. I can be delusional. I can be distracted. I can get depressed. And I think there's a lot of people in this room who are just like me. And so we just yield over to you all these things that distract us and make us delusional and depressed, and, and we give them to you, just trusting that you're a good God. And I pray right now that we receive from you just this, your spiritual gift of understanding, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts to fully understand what your word says, that we might know the good news, what Christians have called the gospel, that you love us. And even back in Genesis you were preaching a gospel to us. So I pray as we look into the story, help us to see it, help us to perceive it, help me to stay focused and enjoy the gift you've given to me of the gift of mouth talking. And um, man, may we leave here to go into a new day, a new week, uh, ready to serve you, not as smarter sinners, but as encouraged and loving saints. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, so if you haven't already, go to Genesis 43. And we're going to be in 43, we're going to be 44, we're going to read through this thing together, it's going to be a good journey. But first, let me tell you a story about Jake Williams, okay? Um, so I heard this story on Monday, or two Mondays ago, it was amazing. So Jake Williams, when he was in middle school, uh, had to take a test, and for some reason he missed test day, so he had to take the test separate from the class. And so he was sitting at the teacher's desk right on the other side of where she's at, okay? So he's sitting down and takes his take this test, he's not ready for it, and he's sitting there, and she gets up and she leaves, the room, leaving him there totally alone to take this test. And while he's sitting there and he's looking at these, he's looking around the desk and suddenly sees, what does he see? The answers. Right on the other side of the desk are the answers. Okay, it's a little bit big desk. So he sees it and what does he do? He looks around. Nobody's there. Teacher's gone. Now, was Jake Williams faithful and just took the test or did he cheat? He cheated. Where is Jake Williams? He's probably downstairs. This whole room, you guys knew it. He's a cheater. So, he, uh, uh, so Jake Williams, he works here at Outpost. If you've not met him, he's a wonderful guy. He's totally, he's awesome. But he's also a cheater. So he, 
he's looking across, and so he, it was so far, he didn't want to grab it and move it, right? And so he stood up, and so he's sitting there doing his test, and he's looking at that test. And as he gets about a quarter away through his test, somebody comes in the room, right? This teacher. So she comes in the room. She comes in. She goes, Jake, what are you doing? He goes, uh, uh, nothing. Uh, I'm done. And just sets it down. And it, I mean, he just, he's, just, he's just going with what he can think about. Sets down the test. I'm done. I'm good. She's like, you're done? She's like, yeah. And so he just gets up and he just leaves, goes out the room, goes out to recess. Okay? And he's just out there. So Jake tells the story. He says that he just sat out, he just sat out there like on a bench and was just like, oh my gosh, like I'm in so much trouble, right? Like my life is going to end now. And so eventually his teacher calls him back and says, hey, Jake, uh, I need you to come back in here. And he's like, that's it. I'm done for. And so he comes in and she's like, so what's up with this? And, uh, you know, now he's got a moment. She's like, you know, did you, did you see the the answer's on the desk, and he's got to make a decision. And uh, through the conviction of something, he finally said, yeah, I, I saw the answers, and so I just couldn't help myself, so yeah, I wrote down those. And when you came in, I got scared, so I just said I was done, even though I still had 50 more questions to do, and just ran out the room. Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, we use tests to authenticate things, right? And in school, we, every one of us took tests to authenticate the knowledge that we were supposed to learn, right? But in those tests, there's always another test, right? It's an integrity test. So are we going to cheat? Are we going to just go ahead and focus on our own paper? I want you guys to raise your hand. Any of you in this room ever cheat on a test? Raise them high. Look how, just how wicked you guys are, right? Every one of them, I mean, almost every one of us have cheated. If you didn't raise your hand, you either flunked out or you were the valedictorian, okay? <laughs> all right, or you're the firstborn child. And so uh, all of us have cheated on his test. And so, but that in itself, Jake didn't just, just get tested on some material. He got tested as a person, okay? We use tests to authenticate whether or not something is true, all right? And in the uh, Old Testament, there's a proverb, Proverbs 17, 3. It says this, the crucible is for silver, the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. Our God is a God who tests us. He usually tests us through circumstances. And I love that it uses silver and gold. If you don't know this, to purify gold, one of the ways they would do that is they heat up gold, all right? They heat it up until it's a liquid, because it's hard to clean something out of a solid you know, object. So they clean it or heat it up until it's a liquid, and things, imperfections begin to surface in the gold that they can then remove to purify the gold. That makes sense, right? But how a smelter, that's the job title, uh, would find out whether or not the gold is truly pure, is what they would do is they would get up over the gold, look down in it, and if they could see the reflection in the gold, they knew that the gold was pure. And it's the same with God. God will allow tests and circumstances in our life that will, through heat, bring up things in you that are not quite right, that are not quite perfect. And the more that he does this, some of, the, of us are older in the room and fallen Christ for a while, the more he's going to begin to see himself in us. Because we are created in his, his image, and we're meant to reflect Jesus, right? That's why we have the WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do, right? Uh, we want to be like Christ. And so that's what he does. And so the primary way that God does this and refines us is through tests and trials. A famous verse that you guys might know is James chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, right? Some of you, it's coming into your mind right now, or 2 through 4. It says this, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. Count it joy. Okay, think about that. What do you think joy? Yeah! Like that, right? Okay, maybe that's not your joy. That's just my joy. All right. 
Count it all joy. Yes. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see that? Are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? That God uses tests. So the thing we're looking at this morning is we're looking at God's wisdom and his goodness in testing us people by allowing trials and heat and circumstance to come into our lives to make things rise out. Now, you might have been duped by other Christians who have said that God doesn't want to use trials. Trials are an evidence of sin sometimes, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're part of God's good wisdom and kindness and love for us because they do something in us that ultimately brings about greater good. You understand what I'm saying? You with me? You understand this, right? That's why we beat our children. I'm just kidding. Spank them daily, right? We have a core value here. It's devote daily, and it's also spank daily, all right? So so we're going to dive right into this. We're going to look at Genesis, and we're going to see God testing people over and over, and there's going to be a lot we learn from it, all right? So let's dive in together. We're going to be at verse 1 of chapter 43 of Genesis. If you don't have it in a Bible or you don't have it on your phone, I think it will be on the screen. Let's look at this together. It says this. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain they had a, uh, that they had brought from Egypt, their father, Jacob, said to them, go again and buy us a little food. Okay, let's pause real quick. You're like, really? We got so much to do. God, listen to me, God being God <clears throat> is above all circumstances in life, all of them, including famine. God is above all circumstances. And what that means is that God is aware of everything that is happening to a ridiculous detail. He knows every single thing about what you're going through. And he's above it, and he knows it, and he's working inside of it for his will and for his purposes. Now, the thing you need to understand about the will and the purposes of God, they are always for good. Listen to me. Every plan, purpose, the will of God is always for good. Okay, let me just one more time say it to you. God is always working good in your life, even when it is famine and you can't see it. He is working good, okay? So whether it's through judgment or mercy, famine or freedom, God is always for good because God himself, listen, you need to understand this about him, in his character is 100% good. Every attribute of God is characterized by his goodness, all right? So if he is powerful, he is powerfully good. It permeates everything. And so, with some help, like we prayed for earlier, uh, these men are going to begin to see something of God's goodness, but also, with God's help, we're all going to see something of God's goodness in the scripture, because every one of you are going to leave this building and you have circumstances. Some of you can't get it off your mind right now. It has been bothering you. It's all around you. It is fueling a lot of things in your life. And God is willing and working for his good pleasure in them. And the question you need to ask yourself is not, what will God do? What's he going to do? The question we have to ask ourselves is, 
Do I trust him? You hear what I'm saying? The question is not, what's God going to do? The question is, do I trust him? So let's look at this. Jacob is going to be the first person tested in this couple passages that we're going to look at. Jacob. Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Israel. His name is also Israel. God changes his name. And so this is what it says. Uh, so he first, in, ch- in verse 1 and verse 2, he goes, hey, just go back and buy more food, which you're going to see in a little bit is coming out of a lot of delusion in his heart. But Judah, verse 3, but Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us. Who's the man? Joseph, their, young, their youngest brother, right? They don't know it's Joseph. It says, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. That's pretty clear. Verse 6, Israel, who's Jacob, said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? Just so selfish, right? Why did you tell him that? Why are you so mean to me? All right, when, when we get tried, when we get tested, when you get... When you get your thumb smashed in a hammer, what are you usually thinking about? Your thumb, right? Can't stop thinking about it. The man is being smashed by circumstance, and all he can think about is himself. Listen, listen to what, how Jacob fails here. Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? And they replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know what he, that he would say, bring your brother down. Like, I almost feel Judah mock him. Like, Dad, come on. Why would we tell him we have another brother? Jacob is failing a test here. And instead of trusting in the promise of God, and the promise that God made to him and to his grandfather Abraham, instead of trusting in faith, he's being led by fear. And this is extremely important for us to realize because the consequences of being led by fear are devastating. They're devastating, okay? So first of all, what's one of the first consequences? One of the first consequences is Jacob has become become delusional. He's not seeing things rightly. And when you guys are living in fear and I'm living in fear, I find that I don't see the world correctly. My lenses get a little messed up. Because I'm being led by fear, and I'm now doubting people's friendships, and what are they doing to me, and why is this happening? Oh, woe is me. And when that happens, you become a little bit delusional about what's going on in your life, because fear is gripping and controlling you. Some of you are like, hey, stop reading my mail. The second reason is because Jacob is showing that he is content to leave his son Simeon in prison. And it's showing the brothers that he, if they were in prison, he would basically do nothing to go get them. Any kids in here sitting next to your parents at all? Can you imagine if your parents were like, look, if you go to jail, I ain't coming for you. That, that would break some trust, right? You're like, dang, man, my parents are so selfish, right? If they could do something about it and won't do it. And so they're showing that. And he's showing also that he has not learned his parenting lessons. He's now treating Benjamin like it was Joseph. And that's creating a division again. And so this fear is controlling him. But listen, you need to hear this. Jacob's failure as a father and as a follower of God is still not going to hinder God's plans and purposes. It's good news. Because listen, guys, your fear, which leads to your failure, your sins, 
are not so big. You're not so significant that you can single-handedly thwart the plan of God. You guys know that? In fact, God is going to use your failures to bring about something else, to set up other opportunities. Now, if I got to choose, I'd rather be in the faith side rather than the failure side, though I keep finding myself in the failure side. But look what kind of opportunity it sets Judah up for. Ready? Let's keep going. Verse 8. And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me. We will arise and go, that we may live and not die. He said, hey, this is serious, Dad. Both we and you and also our little ones. I will, listen, I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. A little bit of a mock. Yeah, exactly. So listen, in the midst of a disappointing delusion of their father Jacob, Judah shows resolve through humility and leadership. And this is a surprise. Because if any of you guys have been tracking with this story... And you read Genesis 38, you know Judah is a gong show. So this guy's stepping up and showing humility, showing leadership. He's going, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, Judah. Well done, bud. But Judah, if you don't know, back in 37 or way back, he, uh, he's the one who sells his brother into slavery. Joseph is where he is because of Judah. You hear this? Yet Judah right now is willing to take his life and make it a pledge for a younger brother, who dad is clearly doing the same thing with Benjamin as he did with Joseph. That's crazy. But Judah is also the same guy who is a horrible father. His boys were terrible, and they died for it. And in their death, they did, the, the one who married a woman named Tamar didn't have any kids. And so Tamar was supposed, to get, uh, was supposed to eventually be married to one of the other brothers, all right? But that other brother was so wicked that he wouldn't give her a son to pass on the lineage. This is this whole thing. I'm not going to explain all that. So they do that, but it just, they wouldn't do it, so that guy dies. So eventually Judah tells uh, uh, Tamar, who he owes a grandson or grandchild, hey, when my youngest son is raised, I'll give him to you, and then we can continue on the lineage. Well, his youngest son is raised, and he doesn't do it. Okay? So he's a liar. And then... When Tamar realizes it's going to happen, Judah's wife dies, and he leaves to go on a trip. And Tamar, because he won't fulfill his promise, she dresses herself up to look a little bit like a cult prostitute, and Judah goes and sleeps with her, his daughter-in-law. You think the Bible was all like, you know, they changed it to make it all pretty? No. Go read your Bible. It is like a soap opera of all soap operas, okay? And it's like Downton Abbey gone crazy. And so, which like... That's, way, that's not even culturally relevant anymore. Only my wife laughed at that, so clearly I messed that one up. So Judah is this guy. Just, long story short, Judah is a guy who's just a mess, guys. He's a mess. He's a liar. He's willing to do whatever he wants to do, but at the end of that, he gets caught because Tamar gets pregnant, and he goes to go kill Tamar because she's pregnant by immorality is what they call it, and then she goes, hey, but actually you are the man. And in being caught, it brings about a humility in Judah that is unique and special, and it's something that God can use. It's something you guys need to listen. A lot of us have been caught in sin, and we do one of two things. We deny it, blame somebody else, run, or we own it, and we let it transform us. And Judah, he let it transform him, and by letting it transform him, God's now going to use Judah in a unique way. Listen to me. He's going to use Judah just like he's going to use some of you sinners in this room 
to be a representation of Jesus. Some of you don't think God wants to use you because you've committed so much sin. And I'm here, I'm up here as a sinner to tell you, man, God's going to use you to represent Jesus. He just might have to heat up the pot of gold in you a little bit until he can finally see more of him and less of you. And some of the ways that comes about is through circumstance. Let's keep going. Verse 11. This thing's a little hot. It's kind of whistling up here. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags, which I'm like, how is there any fruit if it's a famine? Um, carry uh, a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. These are some of the same items that are in the caravan with Joseph when he's shipped into slavery. So that's funny. Verse 12, take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. We hope so. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. Uh, Listen to this. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother... Doesn't even call him by name. Dad, his name is Simeon and Benjamin. He remembers that name. And as for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So listen, Jacob's resolve, this decision he's making is not a a, a decision he's making by choice. He's being forced, all right? So Jacob is failing this test. And here lies, again, a significant truth that you guys need to learn from Jacob's test. God is always working good for those who love him. And life's joy, your joy, is dependent on your faith in the truth that God is working all things to good. Jacob has no joy, none. He's being forced to do things because he doesn't have faith in God. And the truth is, if you've got faith in God, you you can have joy. Because you know that no matter what happens, even if it's not the good you would have picked, it's still going to be the best good that could ever be chosen for you. And so that's what we're going to learn. So... Behind every single corner, guys, listen to me. Behind every corner in your life right now, God is working. He's up to something. And so he, these boys are heading back to a man who has authority to kill them. And they have no idea it's their stinking brother. This is a great story, guys. It's set up. Verse 15, so the men took the present, and they took double the money with them. And Benjamin, they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. So first test is for Jacob, and Jacob fails. Let's go on to what I call the dinner test. It's actually a lunch test, but I only realized that about three hours ago, so just ignore that. We're going to call it dinner test. All right? Verse 43. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. So they've traveled miles, 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 probably a few weeks. They got all the way to Egypt. They're there. They roll in. And Joseph sees these brothers, and they got them all there. So what's kind of going on in Joseph's mind is what I'm thinking about, right? Like, I'm the brother. What am I thinking? Well, number one, I'm probably thinking like, hey, they actually did it. A little bit of surprise. They actually did it. So do they, do they, do they care about Simeon? Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. How do I know? What would they do if I put them in a tough situation with Benjamin? Would they turn on Benjamin? Let's find out. So that's what he does next. So Verse 17, the man did as Joseph told him. So this man is the servant. This servant is probably one of my favorite characters in this whole section. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which is replaced in our sacks uh, the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys, right? The, the fear is making them fill in the gaps. Like they're trying, they're freaking out what's going to come. 
So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house. And they said, oh, my Lord, listen, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened up our sack. And there was each man's money in the mouth of the sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us. And we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. <clears throat> so this scene, it's amazing. This scene is so good because it's extremely revealing and exposing of the way we all act, okay? When you're afraid and your life's not going the way that you want it to, to go, does anybody in the room, do you get tempted to start to seize control? Okay? If it's not you, is it your spouse? Yes. Okay, there we go. Only one person is like courageous enough. Let's go. Yes. Yes. Man, when things in your life are going crazy, your kids are all over the place, and so you feel like things are out of control, so you deep clean your house. Right? Yeah. Some of you are giggling because you're like, yes, that's exactly right. Right? When, <clears throat> when you feel like there's so many things going, around, going on around you guys in your life, and maybe it's soccer schedules and school starting and football and all this stuff, and so you're like, you're going to hammer out the schedule. So you sit down. This is what we're going to do. This is where we're going to be, right? Kids, like mom turns into like a commander in chief, right? She's like, well, this is where we're going to be at. And if your teeth aren't brushed, I don't even care about your teeth. You're never going to see a dentist. Be in the car, <laughs> right? Or there's something going on in a relationship in your life, and so you try to get out ahead. You try to control the situation. And so you'll even sometimes try to build a consensus with the friends around you, right? You shoot out a text. Hey, I was right in what I said, right? Yeah, I'm right in what I was doing. And so you're trying to get a little bit of control because you feel like something's out of control. That's exactly what these guys are feeling. They're just like you, guys. When you're scared, you try to seize control because you don't have faith in God. You're being led by fear. And this is what's amazing. God usually sends the person that's least likely to come and remind you to remind you. He sends the least likely person. And so guess who gets to remind these guys? An Egyptian servant. Listen to this. Verse 23, and he, the servant, Greg's favorite character, he says, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your Yahweh, your God, and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I mean, let me read that again. It's the most wonderful verse in this whole thing. Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your fathers put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money, which is not a lie. He just gave it back. He reminds them of the goodness of God. Hey, guys, be at peace. Your God has blessed you. And he put gold back in their treasure. But I want to ask you guys, hasn't Jesus given you something even better in your heart? A treasure that you could not get? That a pharaoh or a king or the president of the United States or your mom or your dad, they couldn't give you, gave you a treasure that was purchased by blood to be in your heart? Anybody? Then peace be to you. Your God put that treasure in your heart. Don't worry. Don't worry. We received what we needed to pay for your sin. You're free. Be at peace. You hear that? An Egyptian servant said that, which tells us what? It tells us something special about the man Joseph. That Joseph was the kind of leader that his faith didn't just show up when he went to church. His faith was active in all of his leadership. What made Joseph the kind of guy that his faith is going to show up everywhere? What was it? What did it? Trials. 
and testing and heat and pressure. That's what did it for Joseph. Let me remind you guys of James 1. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, like being sold into slavery by your brothers, right? By having to clean toilets in Potiphar's house, then being slandered by some scandalous woman, then being put in a pit of a prison in Egypt and left there for years with no hope of anybody coming for you. In the midst of that, Joseph had two choices. One, forget God. I can't trust him. If he was good, why would I even be here? Or God is good, and no matter what my circumstances is, I'm going to trust him because his good is better than my good. And so Joseph ends up becoming complete, lacking in nothing. So count it all joy. If you want to be like Joseph, go, God, bring on the trial. Like, where do I need to change and grow? Help me, Lord. So that's how Joseph gets there. And so then we see Joseph, this amazing kind of leader, comes home. He comes home. When Joseph came home, they brought him to the house to him, the present that they had with them, and bowed down to him to the ground. This is the second time they bowed down. How many dreams did Joseph have about his brothers bowing down? Got a hint. You can cheat. I got the answer. It's in my right hand right now. (laughs) Two times. Twice. And he inquired about their welfare. So they bring him this gift. He didn't care about the gift. He's, I don't need that. What he says, he inquired about the welfare. Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he alive? It's just a sweet, there's a sweetness in Joseph right here. He just cares about his daddy. How's my dad? They don't know it. They said, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. This is, this is Joseph's only full brother. I, I, I know what this is kind of like. I got one full brother and I've got like three or four half-brothers. I say that because legitimately I don't know if it's three or four. <clears throat> then jo- so this is what it says. Where am I? I lost it. 29. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he says, God, be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out with it for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered in the chamber, and he wept there. The man went away broken and cried. You know, this reminds me of, it reminds me of 1 Kings 3, verse 26. In 1 Kings 3, uh, 3 you guys, a lot of you guys, believers and non-believers, Christians, non-Christians, you've heard the story. It's about the wisdom of Solomon. Okay, there's these two women, right? They both have babies that live in the same house. One of them dies. And so the one who loses her baby, she goes and steals the baby from the other and says it's hers. Like, you witch. And so then they're fighting over it, and they get brought before Solomon, and nobody can figure out who's who. It's she said, she said, Right? And so they're both like, no, it's my kid. No, it's my kid. And so they're sitting there, and Solomon goes, oh, I got a great idea. Here's what we'll do. Chop the baby in half, all right? Give that half to that girl and give that half to that girl. And then the mother, she says this, look, then the woman whose son was alive, the real mom, said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall neither be mine nor yours. Divide him. Joseph is showing he's the one who just has compassion. His heart is filled with the love of God. Because those who trust in faith in God and believe that he is good, their hearts are filled with hope in God and compassion for others. So if you're in here and you saw a Christian and they brought you in here, right, and you saw in them that they had this, this, this compassion and love and kindness and goodness about them, they're imperfect, but they, there's something different and there's a goodness, know it's because they have a good God. And their God has changed their life through life and circumstance. He's changed them. And they've continued to choose it to believe that he's good. That's why they're that way. 
right? And that's awesome. Let's keep going. Then he washed his face and came out, right? He's got, still got some work to do. He's got some testing to do. And controlling himself, he said, serve the food. And they served, uh, they served him by himself and them by themselves uh, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that was an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Why? Check it out. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. All right? What's he doing? Right? Can you imagine? You're all sitting at the table. There's all, there's all 11 of you guys sitting. You're eating food. And you look over, and the youngest guy's got just a heap of meat over there. <laughs> right? Just brisket on, piled on top of, like, lamb. I don't know. Just a whole bunch of stuff. And they're all amazed. Okay? They're all amazed. They see that. And it's kind of Joseph's version of a coat of many colors. Let's see how they respond when they get, he gets more. What's the next verse say that are about to pass the test? Look what it says. And they ate, or no, and they drank and were merry with him. Him is Benjamin. They just were merry with him. It's like, it's awesome. Now, here's the thing. The brothers, they pass this test. And under Joseph's watchful eye, uh, he gets the sign that they're, you know, they're going to be okay with it. But he's not quite sure, and maybe it's not quite right. Because listen, at the end of the day, aren't they thankful they're still alive? Yeah. So what would they do? If Benjamin compromised all of their safety, then what would happen? Because at the end of the day, they're still eating meat and hanging out and still alive. So we got one more test. This is called the theft test. If you needed a point, there you go. Let's go. Genesis 44, verse 1. Here's the setup. Then he commanded the steward of the house, fill the man's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. And he, put, and he says, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he said, uh, and he did as Joseph told him. Okay, so that's the setup. You guys see what's happening? It's going to make Benjamin look like he did what? They stole it. All right, here comes the test. As soon as the morning was light and the men were sent away with their donkeys, they had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, I think this is the same guy. That's why I love this guy. Uh, He says, up, follow after the men, and when you have overtaken them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil, or you have done evil in doing this. And when he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouth of our sacks, we brought it back to you from the land of Canaan. How then can we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Well, listen to what they say next. This is rash. <laughs> Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be the Lord's servants. It's like, uh, you, this, the, what the servant says next is kind of like, calm down, guys. Like, ease up. Look, he says, he said, let it be as you say. And he says that, but then he changes everything they say. He goes, uh, he who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Because he, he knows what's about to happen, so he's like, hey, guys, like, hey, calm down. I'm not about to kill any of you. All right, so each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. And he searched, beginning with the eldest. I just love this servant. He's like, all right, I guess we'll start with the older guy. Let's just, like, build the suspense a little bit, you know. And so he's gonna, he starts with the oldest, ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And they, look what they do next. They tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. There's, like, a real brokenness in their heart. 
And what's really unique about this, guys, even though they have not sinned, there is brokenness and remorse. But go back when it was Joseph and they actually did sin, no brokenness and remorse. They actually schemed and made a, a plot to get away with it and they got away with it. No brokenness. You see this? What's happened to these guys? The change is something that's happened to you. When you get tested, when you get tried, if you're paying attention, God's going to refine you and change you. And so they go back. <clears throat> kind of reminds me, I heard another sto- story of Zoe and Sydney Gunn, all right? who I think are on vacation right now. And Zoe and Sydney Gunn stole something from Walmart, okay, uh, a few months ago, okay? Yeah, Sydney still has a job. It's all okay, because they didn't mean to. So they were leaving Walmart, and somehow, somehow, uh, something else was in their bag that they did not buy, Okay? And so they get out, and they're out in the car, and Zoe and Sydney, they like looked at the back, and they're like, oh my goodness, this is not ours. And then they had to make a decision. What would they do? Either take the thing with them, or go and return it, right? So Sydney was like, hey, it's a big corporation, you know, like, they're not even going to miss it. They've got billions of dollars, right? And Zoe's like, no, that's, that's, cra- that's stealing, Sydney. Zoe, or Sydney did not say that. So they took the thing, they went back inside, because they have integrity, and they went and returned it, right? And they left, Okay. But that's the difference between somebody who's been changed by the goodness of God and somebody's going, no, just keep it. I mean, it's a huge corporation. They owe us money anyways, okay? And so that's what they do. So these brothers, they just load up their stuff and like, we got to go back. We got to go make it right. And so they're going to go back. Because here's the thing, guys. You need to understand something. God is the director of the story, and he is working. Joseph is playing his part, and he's testing, but ultimately God is in charge, and God is using these things to change them. God is in charge of your life. And there's things that are happening in your life. You're going, why is this happening? And he's doing something. And the reason is this. Listen to me. Your deepest need as a human being is not bread or money or cars or educated children or a good job or a house. That's not your ultimately. Your deepest need has to do with your hunger for God. That you would know that God really is good and that he really does love you. And that no matter what happens, he's for you. Like, you're hearing me say that because we're sitting in an old Baptist building and you're going, oh, yeah, that's what you would say. If I meet you at Walmart, I'm going to tell you the same exact thing. Because it's true at Walmart and it's true here. Guys, your deepest need, even when you're buying things, is not for that thing. It is for God and for God alone. For you to know that God is good. And some of you, I pray that trial comes to your life that gets you to a place where you could really know that God is good and he loves you. And I've had it in my life. So let's keep going. Here comes Judah's test, and Judah is about to rock it. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, right? So it's real quick is basically what they're trying to say. And then they, they fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me indeed can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, what shall we say to our Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God, listen to this, God has found out the guilt of your servants. What is Judah talking about? He's not talking, Judah didn't steal the cup, did he? But what did Judah do? He turned in the guy he's talking to right now. And this guy, he's assuming, Judah's assuming this guy has no idea what he's talking about. Judah is finally confessing something he was planning to take to the grave. This is amazing. Maybe you don't think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants. Both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. Remember the servant said, hey, I'm just taking one. And Judah's like, hey, 
We've all sinned. Just take us. I give up now. I give up. It's a good place to be. But he said, this is, this is Joseph, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go in peace to your father. Go ahead. Get up. Get out of here. I'm just going to take that young one right there. This is the setup of all setup. When I read this, I go, man, the Bible is amazing. Some of you, you've been listening to this since it was like felt boards in a Baptist basement, and you're, you're like get, moving right past it and go, yeah, I've heard it, I know. This is amazing. God is working, and he's got Judah in the right spot. So what will they do? Will they go, oh, thank goodness we're free. Yeah, take Benjamin. We don't like him anyways. He's just like his last brother. Imagine if they had said that to this guy. That would be so crazy. Verse 18, then Judah went up to him and said, oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant. Listen to this, guys. For you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, saying, have you, have you a father or a brother? And we said to, the Lord, to my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left with his mother's children. Uh, he, he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Verse 23, then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your, servant's fa- uh, your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother uh, if our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring back down my gray hairs to evil, to Sheol, which is another way of saying hell. Now, therefore, as soon as I came... Uh, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then, as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge. So this is what he's saying. He's talking about Judah. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame for my, uh, before my father all my life. Now, here is the key. Listen. Now, therefore, this is Judah. Terrible dad, terrible husband, horrible father-in-law. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. So, the first time the boys, these brothers, go back to, it, to their father, Jacob, Reuben offers his son as a substitute if he doesn't bring back Benjamin. Judah offers himself for the sake of his brother, that his brother might be saved. And Judah chooses to become the slave that he made Joseph be. Joseph be. You see this? He became a slave so that another man might be free. You hear what I'm saying? You hear what I'm doing? He became sin so that somebody else could be set free from their sin. You see what's happening? Do I need to try to do it a different way? <laughs> Judah is a man who's a sinner like you guys. 
became like Jesus, and that gold of his heart began to reflect the image of God, the goodness of God. And for the first time in Judah's life, he's showing a love for his father that the only person who rivals it is Joseph. Guys, 2,000 years ago, in a place called Israel, which is a real place you can get on a map, you can look, near a place called Jerusalem, in a garden, there was a man, and his name was Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus is the prophesied Lion of Judah, the king. And in that garden, he had a conflict that was happening, and Jesus gets tested. Jesus gets tried, because he knows that he's about to enter a test that no human being can pass. And in that garden, he begins to pray, and he prays these words. Listen to this. Luke 22, Jesus prays, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And the cup is the cup of God's wrath poured out for all sinners, all sin, for everyone who believe. Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, like Judah, took responsibility, stepped up, and placed his head and neck down on the line so that people like you and people like me could be set free, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, that we would become what? Children of God. God has a good and perfect will. And you may not like the way it looks. Jesus did not like the way it was about to look. But because he had faith in God, him being God himself, he knew that God was good through and through. And if this is God's will, that the wrath of every single one of our sins, guys, this past week, your past year, your entire life, it was going to be poured out of him, and he's going to have to face the consequence of every human being's mistakes. He says, God, if that's your good will and good pleasure, then I'm going to do it. Your will be done. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For our sake, he, Jesus, became sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Guys, you're Benjamin. You got stolen goods inside of your bag. But God loves you. And he sent you a Judah to rescue you and redeem you. That's what the story's all about. Do you see that God is working even bigger than this story? He's doing something that's a representation of an even greater story to rescue you inside of your story? Do you hear that? You don't get it. That's why you're afraid and you're trying to control things. And you're reaching out and you're mad at your husband and you're getting frustrated and you're, uh, you're, you're, you're nervous of what next year is going to happen. What's my taxes going to look like? Who's going to be president? What's, how's this going to turn out? What, blah, 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 right? But we're, the people of God are not people of fear. We're people of faith. Because perfect love casts out all what? Fear. You don't have to be afraid, guys. And I want to tell you, I'm afraid. Yesterday I was afraid, and I took it out of my wife and my kids. But then I was reminded of the gospel, and I reminded that God loves me. I don't have nothing to be afraid of. I have got peace. I've got to have peace. That's why I love hanging out with you, because you remind me of that. And I'm here to remind you. All right? So as I pray, we're going to wrap this up, okay? As I pray to wrap this up, guys, I just want you to take some time again. Have your hands out. We're going to sing this song. We're going to worship together. I want you to stay seated and take it as a time to either close your eyes and reflect 
and just be, let Jake and Chat just sing this song over you. But what are the circumstances in right now? And here's the question you have to ask yourself. I asked it earlier. The question is not, what will God do? The question is, will you trust him? Jesus trusted him, and I've got freedom. Will you trust him? Father, man, thank you for this story, Lord. Thank you for a mouth to be able to talk about it, eyes to be able to read it, a Bible that I get to have in my lap to remind myself of it as often as possible. And thank you for a group of friends like this who are who are Judas and Benjamins and Rubens and Gads. They're my brothers and my sisters. They're my friends. And we're all in this together, Jesus. We need you. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for trusting God and his plan to rescue us. Right now, I pray you do a work in us like you did to Judah. Whether that's sitting where we're sitting, first time in our life, confessing sin, we were planning to take you to the grave. Whether that's being honest, that we're afraid, I pray whatever it is, God, I pray right now. These friends of mine would put it into their hands, and God, you would take it and replace it with love and peace and joy, your goodness and your kindness through faith.